Good morning. It's good to see you all here, and it's good to open the Word of God with you. So hopefully you have that open. Keep it open because we're going to be explaining this text, applying it, uh, delving into it for all it's worth. As you look at this passage, you're reminded that God can save an individual in a host of ways. If you think to the experience of people in our church, you would find that many of us have been saved either through a friend or maybe a Sunday school teacher or a parent or maybe even pastor preaching a sermon and giving an invitation at the end. There's a variety of ways that God chooses to save an individual. Sometimes it happens within these walls and sometimes it happens outside of these walls. And sometimes it's a combination of both. Certainly there are some testimonies where individuals may have heard a message that was preached here or a Sunday school lesson that was taught by one of your teachers, and then you go home and, and you think about it, or maybe your child had thought about it and, and then asks you about it later, and then that moment of decision comes at home after having thought through a number of different things. The point is that God can use any number of circumstances to bring about a person's salvation. And we find that to be true here in Acts chapter 8, uh, in verses 26 through 40, which was just read for us. We're going to talk about the Ethiopian eunuch and also this individual that witnesses to him, Philip. Philip. We are told in Acts 8.27, from coming from Jerusalem, uh, this, this man, the Ethiopian eunuch, was traveling back to his hometown. And uh, this is right after the time he had been worshiping in Jerusalem. But what's interesting is this man is not saved in Jerusalem. He's saved on this desert road. He's saved by the witness of this individual, Philip, after having just been to a worship service, you might say. And who knows, maybe it was a combination of both things, having thought about some things in Jerusalem and pondering them over as he traveled back home and then running into this person, Philip. It's hard to say for sure, but what we can say is that God uses a variety of situations to bring about someone's salvation. And we can be used as well as we think about our role that God has had us to play or is having us to play in the lives of others. God can use the preaching of a message to bring about a salvation decision, and he can bring about your courage and bring about your willingness to lead somebody else to Christ, just like he did in the case of Philip. And so my main idea this morning for this message is that God can use any of us to make a huge difference in someone's life for the kingdom of God. You can be that Philip, that person that's described here, to lead somebody to Christ if you're willing to be open to God's leading in your life as he directs you, and also if you're prepared and willing to have that courage to share the gospel with somebody that you come in contact with. So let's just delve right into the scriptures. Let's not waste any more time. Look at verse 25 as we begin to expand and and look at the background to this story before we get right into verse 26. Here's the setting. It says in verse 25, Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So here's the setting. We're jumping into Acts, so it's good to understand where we are, who the they is. Um, And if we step back all the way even to Acts Acts chapter 6, I'm not going to read everything, obviously, from 6 to 8, but you can see that um, we're introduced to a few individuals, um, one of which is Stephen. 
Stephen is a godly man. He's described in Acts 6, verse 8 as being full of God's grace and power. And he performed great and miraculous signs among the people. So here in Acts, the apostles are left after Jesus is taken back up into heaven. And they are preaching the gospel. Peter preaches powerfully uh, in Jerusalem. And many are saved. But they're also going forth from this place. And there's many needs that arise. And there's other individuals added to their leadership. And one of which is Stephen. And God empowers him greatly. Uh, Great and miraculous signs are are given uh, to him uh, to be shown to the people. And then in Acts chapter 7, we see that just as soon as we're introduced to him, he's stoned to death for his faith. This is a major event in the life of the church, and the result was that persecution broke out against all Christians in Jerusalem. So Christians began to flee the area, and Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul, watched the coats of those who stoned this man, Stephen. And the text tells us that he was very much in favor of his execution. So it's not a surprise that Saul would become a major leader in this force, this persecution that would break out from this point forward. And it seems that a vast majority of Christians, besides the apostles and a few others, left the area. We see that if we look at Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now that could mean literally that only the apostles were left, or it might just be meant more generally that most left, but all uh, except maybe the apostles and a short number of others. Uh, We don't know exactly for sure, but that's what it tells us. In the very next verse, uh, verse 2, this is why I believe maybe there were some others besides the apostles that were left. It says that godly men buried Stephen And so I would say maybe there were some others with them besides. But along with Stephen, Philip also was one of the seven men who were chosen to assist the apostles in serving food to Greek Jewish or Hellenistic Jewish widows. And so when we're introduced to Stephen, we're also introduced to six others, these six other individuals of which Philip is one. And when Stephen was killed, it says Philip also fled the area. Acts 8.5 says that Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. And like Stephen before him, many signs and, and wonders accompanied his ministry as well, causing many to be amazed at the power of God. The result was that many people were saved, including a former magician named Simon. And this revival was so significant that the apostles heard of it And so they sent Peter and John to find out more of what was going on. And so they assisted Philip um, in preaching about Jesus Christ, and eventually they departed. That brings us back to Acts chapter 8, verse 25, where it says, They, and who are the they? That's Peter and John. Peter and John go back to Jerusalem, leaving Philip on his own once again. So we're left with this man, Philip. Who was he? On one hand, he was nobody special. On the other hand, he was some, some, somebody special. So let me explain. He was somebody of incredible faith. Somebody who was chosen by the apostles to be one of these seven individuals who would help in the work that was being done in Jerusalem. He was a godly individual and somebody that they had chosen. In the other sense, uh, he was just somebody who maybe we might have blown up a little bit in our way of thinking because we've come to associate him as being one of the first deacons. That title's not applied to him there in that text. That's something where we tie together different passages of Scripture. We look in Timothy and Titus and what deacons are described at, and we often 
point to this passage as being the first set of deacons as we look in Acts chapter 6. Uh, but really, all he was called to do was to assist in distributing food. He was somebody that was called on to assist in this, this regular task of just helping out with these physical needs. And so in that sense, he's somebody that could j- just be like you or I, you know, serving in the church in an ordinary way to help further the ministry of the body. And so now that we have Philip just left in this situation, he's the only one remaining. We go to verse 26 and we read what, what happens in his life, how God uses him powerfully after the apostles leave. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the south road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way, was, on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Okay, so we'll stop here for now. And as we said, Philip was in Samaria when the apostles John and Peter left him. And it seems that from here, God gave Philip specific instructions as to where he should go next. That's nice. I'm sure many of us would love to have God's specific leading from time to time to know where we should go and and what the case should be next in our life. But in this particular situation, God gave him that specific instruction as to where to go next. He was to go south from Samaria to Jerusalem and follow the road that led from Jerusalem to Gaza. Okay, this is all very hard to picture. Okay, if you pull up a map or something on Google, you could, you could find where all this is located. If you imagine that Jerusalem is somewhere here in my invisible map that I'm trying to show you all, okay? Samaria would be north of that, almost directly north. And it doesn't say which city he was in. It just said he was in one of the cities of Samaria. So he was to, to go down to Jerusalem and then kind of cut across in this direction, okay? I think I'm doing this right. Yes, it would kind of be a sweeping motion down to where Gaza would be. And he's to, he's to follow this road to Gaza. And Gaza would have been the last watering spot before you go further south to get to Ethiopia, through Egypt to get to Ethiopia. So that would have been a significant stop. And he's traveling on this road. He's told to travel on that road. Uh, but God doesn't really give him more instructions than, than that. Okay, But he is given this, this task. And to his credit, Philip obeys. Now, as we saw in verse 26... We see something interesting happening in the way that God is leading Philip. It says the angel of the Lord is the one that gives him these specific instructions. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, okay? And, and when you see the angel of the Lord, you, you think of a lot of Old Testament stories if you're familiar with Scripture because the angel of the Lord was uh, the individual, the angel that was often sent to communicate specific messages from God to people like Joshua and other such stories that you think of in the Old Testament. So the angel of the Lord is, um, is guiding him, but yet the Holy Spirit also is doing the same thing. Um, if you look then on to uh, verse 29, it says the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Used together, the guidance of Philip and the salvation of the Ethiopian eunuch is shown to be the fulfillment, I think, of Old Testament prophecies and promises pertaining to the salvation of the Gentiles, as well as the New Testament phenomenon brought about by means of the Holy Spirit. And thus you could say that the Old and New Testaments come together here, demonstrated by this harmony of the angel of the Lord and the Holy Spirit leading him together. 
And this is going to certainly be a key moment as we think of salvation history, because this is clearly a Gentile individual, and the gospel is going to start to go forth to the Gentiles through Paul's ministry, but yet Paul hasn't been saved yet. This is going to be a key moment where it breaks free from just the Jewish people. And of course, God's intention from the beginning was that all peoples would be saved, all the way back from Abraham, where all nations were to be blessed through his descendants. But yet we see a clear delineation here where a Gentile, an Ethiopian eunuch, is going to be confronted with the gospel in a powerful way, marking the beginning, I think, of the Gentile mission going forward. Whatever you make of these details, I think that God definitely uh, intends us to see his purpose, purposefulness in saving this eunuch. Okay? So however you interpret these details, it's clear that God is targeting this one individual, that he intends Philip to run into this man, not just to, to wander about on the road aimlessly, but he's leading him specifically to this individual. There's no denying that fact of God's leading here. And at first... The angel just told Philip to travel on a certain road. But then as he came near to a specific spot, and and this specific chariot even, the Holy Spirit told Philip to go over to that specific chariot and stay near it. Therefore, it was no accident that Philip and this chariot happened to cross paths out of the hundreds of people, or maybe even thousands, who could have been traveling on that road that particular day. God was making it clear to Philip who he was to witness to. And you know what? Sometimes I think God can lead us specifically into who we're supposed to witness to, in fact. Now, we don't often or probably ever get a a voice from heaven telling us, go over to that, uh, okay, we don't have chariots, Uh, go over to that that car over there, and and I want you to talk to that individual. It's just not how it normally works. But I can certainly think in my own life, and perhaps you can too, of times where you just felt like this was the moment, this is the opportunity I have now to share the gospel with this particular person. I felt that way just in the recent past, just very recently, about uh, being in, you know, able to talk with some individual, and I thought, this is, this is an opportunity God has placed in my hands. I, I'm wondering if you can think back to individuals uh, that God has put in your path, or even moments, situations where you have time, you have an opportunity, maybe this individual was even open to hearing things of Christ, and God was placing them in your path. Are you open to those kinds of moments? That's the first question. Um, If you're sitting here thinking, I don't really know if I had moments like that, could it possibly be that maybe we're just not looking for them? Maybe we're not as attuned to the way the Spirit is leading us. And maybe it's something that we should have on our minds more often. In fact, prior to this moment when I was uh, talking to this individual, I thought, man, how many times have I really even been looking for these opportunities? God leads us And yet we also bear an amount of responsibility in these things, don't we? And if we're thinking about our own selfish things, if we're thinking about our own pleasures or whatever we have on our agenda for that day, we can miss many of the opportunities that uh, come our way. God was clearly leading uh, Philip. And so I'm not trying to say that our leading is always going to be identical to what Philip experienced here. But God can definitely put people in our path. Who are those individuals for you? Who are those individuals for you? Think about that. So, who was this man, if we go back to the text, that Philip was supposed to meet? He was an Ethiopian, which back then would have referred to the area in what we now know as Sudan. Okay, very close to Ethiopia, but it would have been a larger encompassing area than the current country of today. He was also an important government official. 
So it says that he was the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia, Candace. And so he would have been rather rich. Okay? This was a well-off individual to be in that sort of position. And that fact is borne out by the fact that he has his own chariot. Okay? Not everybody had one of those. So we can see just by what he's riding in that this is a unique individual. And this is borne out later on by the fact that we see he has his own copy of Isaiah. Remember, there weren't Kindles back then. There weren't devices where things could just be copied in an instant. There weren't um, photocopiers back then or book print, you know, printing presses. Everybody had to copy a, a book by hand if you were able to write and able to do that and had the resources to do it. So to own a book like this, to own a copy of the scriptures, was an expensive thing. So we can tell just by those two details that this man was well off. And if you were to witness to this individual, you have three things working against you that, that you know, just would make things harder. You, you have somebody who's a stranger, and you have somebody who's, who's rich, and you have somebody who's from another uh, culture. Okay? And so if you think about people that you feel comfortable sharing Christ with, maybe those three factors would make it even more difficult for you. Man, I don't, I've never seen this person before in my life. I'm supposed to just walk up to them and share Christ with them. They're not even from the same you know, culture that I am. Maybe they grew up in a different part of the world or whatever. Just their life is different than mine. Or this is somebody who is in a total different uh, social economic status than I am. They're, they might be a millionaire or whatever. I, if you think about all three of those things, if you were to ask to witness to somebody like that, those certainly might, might put you on edge, those details. But here Philip is being asked to witness to this specific individual, and he has the courage to do it. He has the courage to do it. Um, this individual who is in the government in, in Ethiopia. Now, it says that this individual is coming back from Jerusalem. So it would seem that he's, he's at least a God-fearer or at least a believer in the, the Hebrew God of Yahweh. Um, and, and that's the information we're given about him. And as he's writing back, he's... he's um, reading Isaiah the, the prophet. Philip traveled a long distance until he came into contact with this, this man. This eunuch uh, would have tra- traveled probably about 50 miles or so from Jerusalem to Gaza, depending on where they intersect here on the road, and it's even further to get back to Ethiopia. But once Philip saw him, the text tells us, the Holy Spirit tells Philip that this is the one. This is the one he's commanded to join with in the chariot, to, to run alongside of, to meet, to talk to. Okay? And, and just in case you were wondering, uh, Philip didn't have to somehow like do some dramatic swing to get on the chariot. You know, it wasn't driving really fast. It was probably going very slow so he could walk right up to this man and, and talk to him. He didn't have to do some wild west move or whatever to get into the chariot, although that would be interesting. But I don't think that actually happened. Uh, now, this could have been very presumptuous. Nevertheless, even if it's not going fast and he's not running to catch up to this chariot, um, it's very presumptuous just to go up and talk to an individual. Again, somebody of different culture, different uh, socioeconomic class, uh, all these different things. Uh, Philip needed to be confident that he was doing what God told him in order to have courage to approach this official. But he was sure of his calling, and he did so confidently. And I think that we can say something uh, similar about our own witness. When we know that we're supposed to witness to someone, that can give us great courage to do something that we might otherwise be scared of. And of course, we're commanded to preach the gospel to all 
peoples, all nations. So really, we have that command to anybody we have in contact. We don't have to say, oh, God, I'm waiting for you to, to name this person specifically before I say a word to them. No, we're called to, to be a witness no, no matter where we go. And so knowing that should give us confidence that we are doing what God has asked us to do. This is God's calling for our life. And certainly, Philip, knowing that he was called to witness to this man, gave him confidence as, as well. We see next in the following verses, if we look at verse 30, going on to verse uh, 35, it says this, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard this man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him, and the eunuch was reading the passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, So he did not open his mouth. In humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken away from the earth. Then Philip asked, I'm sorry, then the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. All right, so let's stop there. We've got a new section. Philip knows that God is leading him to this man. And he has the courage to start a conversation. Now, notice this. This is where God's specific direction stops. Of course, we could say God is always leading us, right? God is always with us. We've got his Holy Spirit within our hearts no matter where we go. But there is a dramatic shift in God's communication to Philip at this point. He tells him to go on the road. He tells him to go up to this chariot. And after this, we don't see any specific words out of heaven coming to Philip as to what he should say next. The rest is for him to rely upon God in just praying and asking God to to tell him what to say, but also just in what he already knows and using wisdom in that moment to know what to say. This marks a, a, a different shift now in the story. And we can learn several things, I think, from that example. First of all, God's not always going to drop... A piece of paper or a clue in our lap every time that we are called to witness to somebody, to give us the exact script as to what we are to say. Certainly, even with all of God's leading here, in Philip's case, he didn't say, okay, lead off with this question. If you want to start a gospel conversation, Philip, here's the best way to do it. Here's the, the opening line that can really hook you in and, and get things started. No, he had to come up with that on his own, you might say. So, uh, from that, we, we get two things. Number one, we should always be trusting the Holy Spirit to help guide us in conversations. We have that, pro- that promise that God is going to lead and guide and help us in these kinds of things. But we also must know Scripture so that we have the ability to give a clear witness wherever we're called upon to do it. God never told Philip ahead of time, hey, you better brush on Isaiah, up on Isaiah 53. You know, you're going to meet a guy, and that's what he's going to be reading. And so if you haven't read that lately, I'd encourage you to start reading that. You've got a lot of miles, Philip. You've got to go all the way from Samaria down here. Why don't you brush up on your Isaiah 53? No, we don't get any sense that that kind of conversation took place or that kind of instruction came from God. But yet we know that Philip knew Scripture. He knew it very well because he was able to open this passage with him and explain it to him. And that's where we tie back in some of the things that Pastor said just a few weeks ago when he talked about reading the Bible through in a year. Why that's so important. 
Because you don't know what kind of situation you're going to walk into. When you have a chance to share with somebody else, they could have a passage of Scripture open, or they might say, hey, I have a question about this. I've read the Bible before, but I never understood this. Could you help me? And you might say, well, Pastor Dave, that just makes me more scared, because the Bible's a big book, and they could ask me anything. And how am I supposed to be up on every single question they could possibly ask me? Well, the good news is you don't have to be. (laughs) You don't have to know everything on, on the spot. You can always say, I'll get back to you and look at it uh, some more on your own. Research it a bit. Ask a pastor or an elder or somebody like that. That's fine. But yet there was tremendous power for Philip on a desert road where he didn't have the internet, didn't have other books with him. He just had the knowledge uh, that God had given him and that he was able to study ahead of time and be able to guide him through Isaiah 53 to explain who that was referring to. He didn't say, you know what, I've never actually read Isaiah before. I don't, I don't really know. We'll have to look at this together. Or chapter 53, I don't, I, I don't recall ever reading that. Okay? How different that conversation would have turned out if he, if he wasn't able to help him. But he was. He was. So we follow God's leading. We rely upon the Holy Spirit, but yet we do our part. And however divine sovereignty and human responsibility fits together, we try and maintain both. Philip was confident. He was willing to be used and he knew his Bible well. Philip ran to the chariot, probably not sure what he was going to say first, but when he heard the man reading from Isaiah the prophet, and of all things, a passage that links to Jesus the Messiah, can you imagine what kind of thrill that would have been for Philip to hear? You know, we often want to have a way to start a gospel conversation. We we really try to think, how can I share Jesus with somebody? Imagine just having somebody open up to one of the best and clearest prophecies about who the Messiah is, Isaiah 53, and saying, hey, could you explain this to me? Who is this talking about? I mean, that's the best possible lead and you could ever get. Um, and, and so he must have been thrilled about that. God clearly set up the situation perfectly. God had prearranged this meeting to take place. So it's no surprise that when Philip came alongside of this chariot and asked if he understood what he was reading, the Ethiopian eunuch quickly accepted his help. He needed, as he said, somebody to guide him, to explain it to him. And you know, I think that's becoming more and more true in this world. You know, even if you have somebody that you're sharing Christ with, and they have a Bible even, they might not understand it, because it's becoming less and less common for people who aren't Christians to ever read the Bible at all, or even people who profess to be Christians in this world. So it's more and more common, I think, For somebody to say, I don't understand what this is talking about. I see it, I'm reading it, but could you help me? And so maybe we can help in that way. The eunuch asked, what what is this that I'm reading? Can you help me with it? And, and And he did. Here's the passage, Acts 8, 32 and 33, taken from Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. These words come from Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. We don't know how much the eunuch had been reading from Isaiah before that moment. But however much he read, he was stuck on these verses. Since he couldn't figure out what they meant. Specifically, he couldn't figure out if the passage was referring to whoever. He didn't know who it was referring to. Acts eight thirty four. the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And if the prophet was referring to himself, his suffering and death would not come as a surprise. After all, the prophets were rejected, despised, and persecuted. 
But the eunuch recognized this obvious problem. How could Isaiah be speaking of himself? The immediate preceding verses spoke of somebody dying a substitutionary death for the benefit of others. Listen to verses 4 through 6 of Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And it goes on and on. So how could Isaiah speak of himself taking punishment for the sins of Israel? Or in the verses that follow, verse 9, how could Isaiah say that no deceit was found in his mouth? Especially when back in Isaiah 6, 5, he says to God, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Saying that Isaiah the prophet was the subject of Isaiah 53 didn't make much sense, and the Ethiopian eunuch knew it. But he also didn't know who else it could refer to. So Philip supplied the answer. The text was speaking of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. Acts 8.35 says that Philip began with the very passage of Scripture and explained to this man how Jesus was the one who was promised to come. One can imagine that he would have gone through each of the verses of Isaiah 53. And what a joy that would be. And, and you know what? Maybe you can use that even as a, as a way of sharing Christ with somebody. If you say, I don't really know how to start the conversation. If I want to talk to somebody about what salvation is and who Jesus is, where do I even begin? Look at Isaiah 53. It's incredible. Amazing the way these things have been so ordained to line up with uh, how Jesus were to live and die and all the things that accomplished in his life. Jesus' message was rejected by Israel, for example, just like the rest of the prophets. That's Isaiah 53.1. He was not outwardly attractive, verse 2, and indeed was rejected by men, verse 3. He, was viewed, uh, he viewed his suffering and death as deserved um, from, from God, or at least the people did. And he was, however, from God's point of view, sinless, verse 9. His suffering and death were for the sins of others rather than his own, verse 5. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, verse 9, and where he died alongside of criminals, but he was with a rich man in his death. Also, verse 9, for Joseph of Arimathea gave him his tomb. These were some of the things that I imagine Philip would have explained to the Ethiopian, and we can imagine that he explained many other texts as well because he said he started with that. So the eunuch joyfully accepted Philip's words. And when he saw water, which is a rare thing in a, in a desert place, he wished to make the best use of it. He wanted to be baptized. And apparently Philip went so far as to explain the need to be baptized so that he would know what that was. And uh, that was the first thing he wanted to do. Listen to verses 36 through 40. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So Philip baptized this man on the spot. And again, he was no apostle, you know, but God used him in this moment just on a desert road in an ordinary place to make this amazing thing happen. The Ethiopian asked a valid question. What prevents me from being baptized? And God's implied answer in this passage was nothing. So Philip experienced that joy of baptizing this man on the road and even without anybody else to witness it but this man, Philip, and God. 
Now, if you're an observant person, I just want to make note of one thing. You'll notice that if you have an ESV or an NIV or even some other translations of Scripture, there is no verse 37. So look down at your your passage, and you'll notice it goes from verse 36 to 38. So I just want to address why is this. You probably are wondering if you've noticed. Well, you didn't notice it before. Now you did because I pointed it out. But uh, if if you're wondering why is that verse missing, Why why is there no verse 37? This is not something that happens in Scripture very often, by the way. It's not like there's a bunch of missing verses, and now you have to go back through and say, are there any other ones I'm missing as well? No. Um, You you might have a footnote in your Bible that says that verse 37 reads this way. If you believe with all your heart, you may. This is Philip responding back to the Ethiopian. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Which sounds theologically perfectly fine. Um, So why is it omitted in the ESV and others? Well, the short answer is that verse 37 is not found in many of the oldest and best manuscripts of the book of Acts. Therefore, it's not a part of the original text that Luke wrote. It's a later edition. How do we know this, okay? And, and how did that happen? Well, there are literally thousands of manuscripts uh, that scholars use to establish the text of the Bible. The manuscripts covers thousands, or I'm sorry, centuries of, of copying. And, of course, we believe the Bible is without error, and that is true. But, of course, you can imagine 300 years later, there's always the possibility, or however long later, that some scribe might have made some mistake and inserted that into the text that shouldn't have been there. And, of course, we find this in minor ways throughout these thousands of manuscripts that, that have been copied over the centuries, okay, where these minor things have happened. And when that happens, you can tell based on where this manuscript is found and the other copies that are made from it, that, okay, here's where somebody added something or accidentally deleted something, and that copy was, uh, you know, kept going and going and going. And we can tell from the other ones, the majority of other manuscripts that exist over here somewhere in a different region, or ones that are carbon dated to be even older, that this is an error, this shouldn't be, this is not part of the text. And so I just want to explain that to you. Why is verse 37 not there? Yes, it sounds perfectly fine, but it's, it's not, and, and I think we can see how a verse like this actually could have been added. Um, because it's a very open-ended question. What prevents me from being baptized? And maybe some would read that and say, that seems awfully, it doesn't make me you know, feel so comfortable. Because he's just saying, let's, let's do this. You know? But it's clear, it's clear from the passage that this man accepted Christ. Believed he was who the Bible says he is. And accepted him fully. So that verse isn't needed for us to establish the fact that this eunuch was a true believer. Of course he accepted Christ. Of of, of course uh, that's uh, what happened here before uh, he was baptized, and Philip would have made sure of that. But I digress. Sorry, I just want to explain the, the verse there. The point of this section, if we could get back to the application here, is that this was an entirely appropriate thing to do then and there, and because Philip was willing to be used of God, he was able to share in the joy of somebody's life being changed and becoming a committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was willing to be open to the leading of God, and he was also willing to have courage and speak, even in times where God didn't speak to him and give him specific direction, to share Christ with this man. And because of that, this man went home rejoicing, and even tradition tells us, the scripture doesn't, but tradition said that this man went back to his hometown and witnessed to many others after him. So, It's an amazing thing. This man went away rejoicing, understanding the scriptures, being saved on that very day. What do we learn from this passage? What do we take away from this? Well, first of all, in this context of the larger storyline of scripture, 
Here we see a key moment of the gospel going out to the Gentiles. Certainly this was God's intention all along. For when God made the covenant with Abraham in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, he said, In your offspring shall the nations of the earth be blessed. And when Jesus was an infant, Simeon spoke in Luke two thirty-two about him being a light to the Gentiles. In the Great Commission of Matthew 28, Jesus commanded his followers to make disciples of all nations. And later in the book of Acts, Paul would eventually become the apostle to the Gentiles. But here we see one of the first major instances in the New Testament where God specifically sought out a Gentile. There is no accident about it. God specifically sought out this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, guiding Philip both by the angel of the Lord and the Holy Spirit to witness to this man. And this illustrated, demonstrated the fact that the gospel is good news for all individuals. And you say, Pastor Dave, so that's great. Okay, this theological significance of where it stands in the story. What does that mean for me? Okay, well, if you must know, we are Gentiles. <laughs> Most of us, I imagine, in this room are Gentiles. And were it not for passages such as these, we would not be here today. If God had not made that good news available beyond his people, the Jewish people, we wouldn't be worshiping him today. So we can be grateful for passages such as this because God's grace extends out beyond just any one people group but to the ends of the earth, and that's demonstrated powerfully here. Second lesson that is, that is that God saves individuals at all different times and in all different types of places. Like we said earlier, this man was coming back from worshiping in the temple at Jerusalem, and perhaps he had gone there for some time. We don't know. But what we can say is he wasn't saved at the temple. He wasn't saved by Peter and John or any other apostle. He was saved by Philip, a man whose job was simply to help distribute food to widows. And so you might say, well, Pastor Dave, I don't, I don't know that I could share the gospel with somebody. I get scared with any kind of you know, public speaking or just speaking off the top of my head. I don't know if I can do this. You know, Pastor Reed gives uh, gospel presentations all the time. There's Sunday school teachers for that. They do that all the time. My point to you this morning is that God has called all of us to this work. He's called you and me. And we can't just leave that up to just a select few. God didn't leave it up just to a select few. God was willing to use Philip in this instance to witness to this man. And his life was dramatically changed as a result. Who are the individuals that are in your life? Have you been open to those opportunities that God has placed in your life? To be able to witness, to share the gospel message. Do you know your Bible well enough that you could at least share some verses with them about what salvation is? You know, there's no shame in it. If you want to grab Embark verses, okay, like print them off online or whatever, grab one from Yvonne Herb and, and just say, we can have an Embark for, for adults, okay, and just you know, go through and learn some of the basic ones for salvation, just so you have something. You know, learn it. It's not just that it's reserved just for the young kids, it's for us as well to know these things so that we can share. And how well do you know the gospel message? There was a time in, in YF, a few years back, where we were regularly practicing that, and I want to get back into that, where we were having some of the teens stand up and just practice sharing the gospel. If I said to you after the service, as you were going through the line, now nobody's going to go through my line now, but um, <laughs> if there's traffic all in the other direction, I'll know why. Um, if I could just say, okay, uh, share the gospel with me. Tell me what the gospel is. If I am an unbeliever... Share that. How many of you could do that? Okay. Some of you could. I know that. Maybe some of you in this room couldn't. That needs to change. We need to be willing and ready to share whenever the opportunity presents itself or else that will never come. 
and we will miss out on all the opportunities that God has placed in our lives. So the big application for us today is to be ready. God used Philip in a powerful way. He can use you too. He can use you too. May we be open to it and be ready. Let's pray. God, we've had an opportunity to open the scriptures and to listen and to learn. And going forth from this building, Lord, the next task that resides with us is to do, to act. God, may the words that have been spoken here and the things that you've convicted us of and the things that you have brought us to mind not stop here. But God, may we use the scriptures that we know. May we learn them better if we don't know them well enough. May we study uh, those key verses that we could use to share with somebody about what that gospel message is. May we practice it. May we be ready for whatever situation you place in our, pa- our path. God, may you bring to mind those that we are close to, those that we know are with, without Christ, who need him in their life, and may we be willing and ready to share with them in an honest way how they can be saved. May we do so with love. May we not do so arrogantly. And God, if there are things that we do not know, may we have the humility to say, I don't know, I'll get back to you on that. But God, thank you for the example of Philip. Thank you for the way in which you divinely led him. And thank you for his courage that was demonstrated in this passage as well. We entrust these things to you, God. May your Holy Spirit go with us. We pray in Jesus' name.